you need to live with, and the context you need to understand and embrace, a confession you need to make, a tension you need to live with, and the context you need to embrace. First question is this, do you believe that Jesus is a burden-bearing Savior? Some of you are hesitant. You think I'm going to ask a trick question. It's an honest question. Do you believe that Jesus is a burden-bearing Savior? Right, and so I imagine the answer would be yes, of course. Next question is this. Why does your life often look like this guy? Atlas with the weight of the world on your shoulders. Is Jesus truly a burden-bearing Savior? Or are we just giving lip service to that great truth? So this morning, I want to suggest that there's a confession that you need to make in order to live with the kind of freedom you're created to live with. To fully delight in the kind of burden-bearing Savior that Jesus really is, and he's so accessible for your life. Here's a confession. It comes from the Gospel of John, John chapter 1. It goes like this. Now this was John's testimony. The Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He not failed to confess, but confessed freely, I am not Christ. They asked him, then, who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He said, no. Prophet said, who are you? Give an answer and take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I'm the voice of one upon the desert takes straight in the way of the Lord. This is such a central conviction and calling and confession of John Baptist. He says it again two chapters later in John chapter 3. He said, you yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ that's in heaven. He goes on to say, he, Jesus, must become greater, I must become less, or as some translations puts it, he must increase, I must decrease. So the question early on in his ministry that John the Baptist faces is this, will John assert the place of Christ? Will John place himself in a position that only Christ belongs? Will John the Baptist accept the weight of the world on his shoulders, or will John follow and point others to a truly burden-bearing Savior? John the writer says he did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. John the writer doesn't say John the Baptist replied, John the Baptist answered. John the Baptist hinned and hawed about what his identity was. As John the Baptist wrestled with his identity, he knows one thing for certain. Friends, he did not fail to confess, 
Brothers and sisters, hear this well. This is a confession that you need to make to be free. This is a confession that you need in your lexicon of life. This is a confession that you need to practice beginning today. This is a practice that can be totally transformative and life-giving and liberating to you. And so if you learn anything here today, learn from the life and the ministry and the practice of John the Baptist. Learn to practice this utterly free confession. Do not fail to confess, but confess freely, I am not the Christ. What does that mean for our lives today? For the exhausted mom who thinks that her children's success in life depends solely on her. For all you mothers out there who have a big case of mom guilt, say it with John the Baptist, I am not the Christ. For the frustrated spouse who's trying to change or, or fix their husband or wife, say it with me. I am not the Christ. One of the things Lisa and I learned early on in our marriage, especially when one of us were struggling, we both had to say, this is where I end, and this is where Lisa begins. I'm not quite capable of carrying all the burdens of my wife, even though I love her, even though I stay connected to her. I need to say, I am not the Christ, because only Christ can minister to her in her deepest places of hurt and disappointment, and the same is true of her husband. So spouses, you need this confession to be free to love your spouse like he or she needs to be loved. For the teenagers who are struggling with perfectionism and people pleasing and trying to do it all in life. If you've got a mountain of weight and pressure, you've got to get to college, you've got to be finished, you've got to work, you've got to make money, you've got to do a thousand different things. Say the confession like John the Baptist would have to say it. I am not the Christ and be free. For all the overworked employees who are burning the midnight oil, practice the confession. I am not the Christ for this organization. Do you have an overinflated sense of your own importance in your family, in your marriage, in your organization? How taxing, how exhausting, and how foolish not to let Christ be a burden-bearing Savior. Because here's the thing. He wants to bear your burdens. He delights to bear your burdens. All he asks is that you come. Come to me, he says, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and confess with John the Baptist, I am not Christ. Friend, this is your first step towards your freedom, first step towards your liberation. And imagine that, right? Imagine that 
So 
people shall leave and he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation and be content with your wages. And in a sense, a 180 societal change, this is what John the Baptist is going for, big societal changes. So John the Baptist is expecting a coming Messiah King, but Jesus hasn't done anything in the temple yet. He hasn't done anything in the center of power in Jerusalem yet. Rather, his ministry is simply developing among all these poor people in Galilee. What is going on? And so John Baptist sends, sends delegates asking, hey, should I expect someone different? Should I expect a kingdom of God like this? It seems so small and so insignificant. And so maybe just, maybe John the Baptist had even bigger crowds than Jesus. Can you imagine that you're pointing to somebody greater than you? Josephus, ancient uh, Jewish historian, says that 300,000 people are flocking from all over Israel, all over the Mediterranean, to hear John the Baptist preach. 300,000 people. Well, in this next chapter, in the same chapter, Jesus feeds like maybe 10 to 12,000 people. It's a smaller ministry than John the Baptist even has. And so is this how the kingdom of God unfolds in my life? Maybe you've asked the same questions as John the Baptist. Is this how the kingdom comes into my life? Through this death? Through this grief? Through this shattered dream, through this divorce, through this hard thing in my life? You don't think Lisa and I are wondering like every week, God, what are you doing in our lives? As our younger son, especially in the last three weeks, is getting up and wandering around the house at 1 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning. How, Lord, is this how the kingdom comes to my life? Is the kingdom of God coming to me in the form of my son, Tristan, with autism? You bet it is. You hear the tension. I didn't ask for it. Lisa didn't ask for it. So God is going to bring the kingdom to the hard places of my life and in my soul. And the question for me, as well as for you, is can you bear the tension? Here's the truth. Your spiritual formation will often happen through embracing your limitations and your weaknesses. Did you get that? Your spiritual formation will often unfold, the kingdom of God will unfold in your life precisely through embracing your limitations and your weaknesses. That is, there is where, where you'll find God. You'll find God as you shine the light of Christ into all the broken places of your life. And this is why the American church doesn't see a lot of transformation compared to other parts of the world. Because we want to see God, we want to meet with God, but on the mountaintops of life. God promises to meet you, to change you, to transform you in the broken 
hard places of your soul. And so what do you have to do if you want to see transformation in your life? Expose your soul, all of it. All the broken places. Here it is, O oh Lord. And that's going to be healed and transformed. But we don't want to look straight at our brokenness. We don't want to be distracted. We don't want to entertain ourselves to death. We just want to go on. We want to, no, we don't want to deal with our issues that much. Friends, don't be afraid of broken places because that is where you will find the living God. And isn't that what Jesus says to report back to John the Baptist? Isn't that what he says? He says, John the Baptist, look at all these broken people being made whole, the blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, deaf hear the poor are hearing the good news. And so when John the Baptist wanted big societal transformation, this is how God must want to become king. Jesus knew that when God does the big things, the little people are drawn in too. Little people like you and I and all of our issues and struggles and problems and stressors. So John Baptist shows you the confession you need to make, attention you need to live with, finally a context that you need to understand and embrace. Finally come to Mark chapter 6. First, we have in this passage of John the Baptist's death a very common literary technique known as sandwiching. Many commentators use this word. I didn't make it up. It's not a great word, but here we go, right? It's very common in Mark's gospel. We've already seen it in Mark chapter 5. It says A, B, A construction. Remember chapter 5? You know, Jairus comes pleading for his little daughter, my little daughter. On his way to Jerry's house, what happened? An interruption. This woman with the flow of blood, she gets healed. And the Mark wraps around at the end, Jesus healing Jerry's daughter. And so it's a story within a story to make a point. Chapter 6, same technique. Remember, Jesus sends out the 12. Verse 7 through 13, right before our passage today. Then John the Baptist's death, and then after Mark tells that story, the twelve now come back and report about their mission, about their sentness out of the world. They come back and report to Jesus. So the question you want to ask is this. Why does Mark put John the Baptist's death right in the midst of the mission of the twelve? And so you can imagine the Apostle Peter. Remember, Peter is Mark's sort of interpreter for his gospel. And he's sitting around and telling stories about Jesus' life and his ministry. And so some of it, Mark out, uh, lays it out for historical. This is how it happened. But part of that, Jesus, you know, uh, Mark lays it out. It's all, it's sort of literary. The order that I tell the story is also significant. It also makes a point. So the twelve are sent out. Then John the Baptist is killed in prison by a hostile culture and a hostile regime. And then the disciples come back and report to Jesus. What do you think is Mark's point in doing all that? The point I think is this. Suffering. Suffering is the content 
follow Jesus faithfully without a real risk of suffering. In other words, the subtext of the kingdom of God, the subtext for the mission of Jesus, for the sending out of the twelve, is the cross of Christ. And so this passage acts like a pre-passion story, right? Like a little trailer or preview of current attractions in Mark's gospel, of which the feature film is the cross of Jesus. And so notice that in the gospel, John the Baptist, early in the gospel, is handed over. Does that ring a bell to anybody? Yeah, three times in Mark's gospel, Jesus is handed over. And just as John the Baptist was executed by a political ruler who was hesitant to do so, so Jesus will be sentenced to death by a reluctant pilot at the instigation of hostile leaders who plotted the death behind the scenes. And so this beheading of John the Baptist is setting up the entire gospel for the cross of Christ. Remember also that Mark is writing for who? A Roman audience who is in the midst of the persecution of Nero. Nero blamed the fire of 64 AD upon the Christians. And there in the Roman church, 3,000 to 3,500 Christians were killed and martyred for their faith. Mark is writing to this group. If it was true of John the Baptist, if it was true of the crucified Savior that you follow, what will be your lot if you engage in the culture, if you are sent out in mission? And so the subtext of being sent out and, and being a disciple is suffering every single time. If anyone, Jesus said, would come out to me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is always the normal Christian life, carrying a cross. But it's also always the shape and the contour of ministry. Count the cost. Isn't there a cost for the context of evangelism? The cross is always a context for entering into people's lives, relationally, counseling, coaching. The cross is always a context for leading women's groups and men's groups and life groups, serving in Sunday school. So John Baptist tells you the context that you need to embrace for a life of service and mission and ministry. And so, let's bring this real today. Every church in America, you can pull, hey, church, pastor, do you have enough folks trained, equipped, and engaging in ministry? None of my colleagues would be like, I have too many of those folks. <laughs> is it just time? Or is it also, church, how's the cost? Count the cost to get engaged in people's lives. Count the cost to go out on the street and, and witness to the kingdom of God. So let me sum this up. Three things that John the Baptist teaches us. Is there a confession you need to make to get to the place of liberation and freedom? To stop carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders. To start trusting 
and as Jesus as a burden-bearing Savior. Some of you need to go home and say, I do not fail to confess, but I want to confess freely, O Lord. I am not the Christ for this relationship, for this organization, for this marriage. I'm going to let Jesus carry that for me. Is there a tension you need to live with? That is, the kingdom of God comes into your life in ways that you don't expect and you never ask for. It's actually by embracing your limitations and your weaknesses and your broken places in your life that you actually can meet God, that you can be transformed. And so some of you need to go home and say, here is Lord. I've often shied away. I haven't revealed everything to you, O Lord. I haven't brought all my broken places to you for a sustained season. Here it is, O Lord. Your brokenness is your gateway to transformation. Or is there a cost to be counted? A context you need to embrace in order to not get frustrated with ministry not get frustrated with the mission of Jesus, not get frustrated with church, but recognize you can't get away from suffering in the Christian life, even if you try, but especially if you are called, and you are, into a life of ministry and mission. Confession to make, decision to live with, in the context of grace. This is what John the Baptist teaches us. 20 centuries later. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we bow before you. You are worthy of our praise. Father, you're worthy of our life of mission and ministry. Father, we want to do it alone. We want to earn our salvation. We want to do the deed. We want to be the person and the employer and the spouse and the, the team that you have us 